tuning in. This is episode number 191. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. So today I want to um, point out some thoughts um, that I've uh, just come across, really noticing this for the first time. Uh, Seems like a a recurring theme, uh, I say quite often. Um, (laughs) You may may be wondering, is there anything that... um, you've actually seen before. Uh, seems like you're just newly discovering everything. So, um, I'm thankful for that. Um, so today it's, it's actually going to be coming out of the book of Mark and it's, um, I came across, um, a particular miracle of Jesus. And, um, this is where the thought occurred to me uh, to, to notice the context of the miracle. Um, so I got uh, paid particular attention to that. Um, let me say at the beginning, I am 100% an advocate for believing for the miraculous. Um, Jesus demonstrated it in his ministry. We are called to do as Jesus did. So I am 100% an advocate for believing for the miraculous and um, and operating in in a way that duplicates the ministry of Jesus, um, I believe that's to, to I believe that's biblical, um, and it uh, to operate in any less fashion than Jesus did is to settle for um, a less gospel. The good news encapsulates everything that Jesus makes available. And so I just want to say that at the beginning. Now, in light of that, and in my discovery of this point, I want to bring attention to the miraculous context in Mark. Um, I'm going to go quickly through the chapters and just point out the specific uh, points so the theme of this is the miracle context in Mark. We see that in uh, chapter 1 of, of Mark in around verse 23, we see there is a – Jesus is driving out an impure spirit. And so this is what we, what we call an exorcism, and it's within the context – of teaching. Uh, verse 23, it said, uh, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. But Jesus had went into the synagogue and began to teach. So that was the context of this miracle. Then we see again in, in verse 30 and 33, there's an exorcism again that's tied to healing. And here in this context, um, Jesus is just in a home. So uh, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. So here he's just in a home, and there's a need. And so, um, and then 
we see after that uh, healing, that evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered, so many so that um, they couldn't even fit, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases and also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak. So we see there is significant exorcisms happening, there's healing attached, but he is just in a home. Okay, uh, next we see in around verse 39, uh, he says, some, it says, some traveled throughout Galilee, um, or I'm sorry, um, he had just explained that um, I can, so that I need to preach to nearby villages. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So here he is performing exorcisms in the context of preaching. So that's in verse 39. And then in verse 41, we see that there is uh, Jesus participating. He heals this man of leprosy. And it says that Jesus was filled with compassion for the man. And so the context for that healing was one of compassion. In Mark chapter 2, we see uh, a healing. This is around verse 10. There's a healing that occurs, and it's within the context of preaching and also within the paradigm of proving to the people his ability to forgive sins. Mark 3, we see Jesus healing, and this is done in the synagogue. We see Jesus many times in the synagogue, and this is the context of that healing. Uh, Mark chapter 4, we see him calming a storm. This is around verse 39, and he was just traveling. He was just going from one place to another. There is a significant storm that brews up. Uh, you may you may recall um, the particular story Um but they, the boat is nearly sank, and he is asleep in, in the back of the boat, sleeping, and they wake him up, afraid that they're going to drown. And so Jesus calms the storm. So that's the miracle, and it's within the context of just traveling from point A to point B. Um, Mark chapter 5, we see another exorcism, and this is the very uh, popular story, the demon-possessed man, uh, the Gadarenes. And Jesus, it, it doesn't give us a, a great context of why he was headed to this man, but I, I think that you can safely conclude that that man was his mission. Um, it reinforces this, you know, leaving the 99 for the one. And so freedom for one man... <clears throat> means salvation for many. We know this This man is actually later on wants to go with Jesus, isn't permitted, but he is sent out to tell of all that God has done for him. So no doubt the man's testimony produces a work in the hearts of many people. So freedom for one um, means salvation for many. And that's around verse 8 or so. Um, we also see in Mark 5, Jesus does a healing and um, this is really just kind of people are bringing uh, these these people, these these in need of help. Uh, they're just near Jesus. So I just kind of called it nearby. Um, they come to him. Um, they're brought to him. So there's this idea of proximity. We see in Mark chapter 6, 
uh, the story of the multiplication where Jesus feeds uh, the 5,000. Um, around verse 34, we find that Jesus has, there's a large crowd there. He has compassion on them uh, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. But by this time, it was very late in the day. And so now we find that it's so late indeed that if they send them away to the surrounding villages and to buy something for themselves, um, that way they can get something to eat. But here, here is the introduction of the, the miracle of multiplication. But um, we see here the context for, for that miracle is within the, the context of teaching. Jesus was teaching them as they were gathered here, and he did so for quite a while, and it became late. Um, so we see that multiplication. We see later, that's around verse 34. We see later um, in, in that chapter, around verse 48, we, we see the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. Um, and this is around, like I said, around verse 48. Um, it's interesting, though, to, to think on this one. It says later, verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them. So notice that part. He went out to them, walking on the lake. So there's the miracle. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. Now, this um, there's another place where we see that Jesus is walking. Remember, he's on the road with uh, two of the disciples, um, and he's walking and talking with them. This is after his his crucifixion, and they are surprised that he hasn't heard about why they're so sad, and um, Jesus begins to ultimately correct them and to um, open the scriptures to them of how this was foretold through scripture. And he walks as though he's going to keep going, and they invite him in to stay with them, seeing as it's late in the day. Um, this is This is interesting. It reminds me of that moment where they are presented the opportunity to go deeper, to have a, an experience or an encounter that could have not been available if they did not properly steward the moment. So I, I feel echoes of that in this moment because notice it said he saw them straining because the wind and he went out to them. So there shows some some intentionality in what he was trying to do. He was going to go to them, but he was going to walk on the water on past them. So I think that warrants something to consider. But here we're, we're mainly looking at the context. We see the miracle, which is walking on the water. And what's the context for, for that miracle? 
he went out to them because he saw them straining. Um, perhaps this was in the context of help, uh, being an as, an assistance. Uh, I'm just providing that as a possibility. But we see that around verse 48, and that's March, Mark 6. We see in Mark 7, there is a, a, a exorcism, another one. And here it's verse around 24. This is a Syrophoenician woman who has, who has great faith. And she does that in the midst of a, a peculiar response of Jesus about first let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, referring to Gentiles. And she responds in such a, a humble way that Jesus is so impressed with her response that he says, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. If, if you see, previous to that, Jesus had left the place where he was and went into the vicinity of Tyre. And he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know it. So he was in this place of hiding. So that's the context for this miracle, was he didn't want to be found. And he has this encounter with a woman who, who knows he's able and is seeking his help, but, but it's within the context of being hidden. So then we see in around verse 32, there's a deaf and mute man. And Jesus goes and puts his fingers in the man's ears. He spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven and he says, Ephatha. Uh, which means be opened, and the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loose, and he began to speak plainly. So here there's a, he a healing occurring. But I, I classified this again as just nearby because as Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and he went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis, here we see that Decapolis again, there some people brought to him a man. So... This man was brought to him, to Jesus, and there is this uh, miracle that happens. Uh, we see in Mark chapter 8, there's a multiplication done. That's within the context of there's teaching that's going on. Uh, likely, Jesus is feeling compassion for them. It's around verse 2. There's also some blind eyes. Again, this is this has to do with the context of being nearby or... Uh, uh, proximity, that's verse 22. Mark 9, we see another exorcism occurring. This is relating to compassion contextually. It's around verse 19. Uh, in Mark 10, uh, we see, again, some more blind eyes opened. This is in the context of having mercy on an individual. This is around verse 47. And then lastly, we see in Mark 11, um, there is Jesus and this is a peculiar one. He's cursing a fig tree. That's a miracle. It's a peculiar one. And that is within the context of Jesus hungering for fruit. Now, this is a fascinating one. Uh, that's around verse 13. Um, it's peculiar because it wasn't. It, we find in Mark that it wasn't the season for figs. 
but he but it's in leaf. And when he, Jesus goes to it to find fruit, he finds no fruit on it. Now, at first glance, it's it's very easy to see this and to think that well, it doesn't seem very fair if if Mark if Mark tells us that because it was not the season for figs, how is it that Jesus would then curse this fig tree because it didn't have fruit? And I don't I don't uh, presume to know exactly and understand exactly this particular uh, miracle, this particular situation. Um, I could think on it probably my entire life and continue to discover things about it. But one thing that I feel fairly confident of is, yes, Jesus was hungry, but I think it shows us one particular truth that we can that we can find from it, and that is Jesus is interested in fruit. Now, not we're not talking here uh, specifically fruit that you'd pull off a tree and consume for yourself. Um, I think there is a spiritual parallel to it uh, as it relates to the fruit that the life of the Christian produces. I think um, there being no fruit on the tree, there is there is a withering that happens with this tree as a result of his word. So I think there I think that we can find in that miracle a a very specific I guess intensity that that Jesus has for the Christian to produce fruit in their life. And um, let me make sure that that's not misheard. We don't produce the fruit. It's a byproduct of being connected to, to the true vine. So being in Christ produces in us as a byproduct fruit uh, that is a, of benefit to, to the world around us. So um, without – you can make a specific episode on that miracle, but – um, it's a special one. It's unique that it doesn't seem to kind of follow the the theme or the pattern of some of the other miracles that we see. Perhaps we kind of scratch our head a little more at these or at this particular one. So that that pretty much encapsulates all of the miracles in the book of Mark. Now – how does this change how I've seen? I actually love reading Mark because it's so full of miracles. It's exciting. It's um, it's engaging. It for me, it's it's energetic. It is. Um, it, it fills me with this this longing, this hope, anticipation of the the power, the um, authority of Christ and what that entails for the believer who is operating under the authority of Christ in interacting with the world around them. So it's a very exciting book for me. And remember at the very beginning, I said I 100% believe that what Jesus did, we are called to do. We're not able to do it in ourselves. We're only able 
because he has sent us to do what he has done. And 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 I know for some hearing this, it, it may seem too hard to believe, but here's even something more harder to believe. Jesus says, greater works than this you will do. Now, that's, that's even harder to believe. Um, I have a hard time getting to the place that I can even just do what he did, much less do greater. Um, I don't have the capacity to even understand that or have a paradigm for that. But um, what does... What does analyzing all of these miracles in context in the book of Mark do for me and maybe do for you? I think for me, it has created a, a framework perhaps of how, how I process what Jesus did in the miraculous in his day-to-day life. What I don't see is is Jesus um, calling all these people to to him to do miracles, to do to do these uh, works of mighty power? Um, he has the ability to do these things, but it seems to me that they're all being done within the within the paradigm of his mission. So it's like. Miracles in missions, not don't just hear you know in missions like work, but he's about his father's work, and on the way to all of his work that he's been given to do, there are these moments that he seizes or takes the opportunity, and perhaps there. Perhaps they're all preordained, perhaps even though some so inject themselves in in his path that his compassion overrides the moment and he inter, and he intervenes in these situations and turns something a, a, something negative into life transformation for these people. But he's teaching, he's at home, he's just having compassion for people, he's preaching, he's doing proofs, uh, he's traveling from place to place, people are just nearby him and interacting with him, he's going to help people. We see a lot of these things, he's having mercy on people. Um, I, I appreciate, I appreciate services with an expectation for from the miraculous. I appreciate that, and I don't think we should stop that. But something that maybe changes in my perspective is, you know, we've we may have seen these like intentional miracle services where, you know, we gather together with the intention that God is going to do this miraculous. And um, again, don't mishear me, I love the expectation that we come to God with because we know it it aligns with his heart but have we made the miraculous the mission or have we made the miraculous the center of things and here I just as I look at at Mark as a whole it it seems to me that 
the mission that God has put him on, being Jesus, God who has put Jesus on, he is about his father's work, and the miraculous comes in in path through the mission. So I think there's a distinct little shift there from especially from what we see maybe in our day and in previous days. Um, so it's just kind of a a paradigm shift for me. It encourages me a little as well because sometimes we get very discouraged that we're just, you know, kind of this mundane thing that we have in our day-to-day life. You know, I'm just going here and doing this. I'm just working here or I'm just taking this here. But do we have the eyes to see that even in the midst of the day-to-day grind, in the midst of the mundane, can we have the eyes to see that the miraculous is laying there uh, before us? If if we can see past the disappointment of our circumstance that we're in, not look past these opportunities because we want to get to this big, this big platform or this place, this elevated place where we think all these things should be happening. It's actually in the day-to-day, in the A-to-B, uh, and everything in between. And so can we have, a, have ears to hear what God is inviting us to in the day-to-day, in the mundane, in the not-so-glamorous um, part of our lives? Can we have the eyes to see that there's opportunities available if we'll faithfully steward the moment and recognize what God is wanting to do. So I think that's an encouragement to me. I hope it is to you. And um, let's, keep, let's keep digging in God's Word so that we can find these, these hidden treasures that He wants us to discover uh, and come to uh, a greater revelation of who He is, His nature, and His desire for us. So I pray that this blesses you. I pray that God opens your heart in desire for his word uh, and that he richly blesses you with uh, just igniting a fire in your heart for pursuing him in intimacy and proximity, nearness to his heart, to devotion, to a lifestyle of righteousness, of pursuing God and uh, casting away distractions that that, uh, add no value to your spiritual life and uh, that we can faithfully steward what he's given us and what he wants to do in each and every one of our lives. So thank you for being with me on this one, and we'll see you next time. God bless. I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here.